Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for tonight. We thank you for these men and women journeying in the, the great book of Hebrews. And Lord, we get to meet an interesting character tonight, and we get to study this interesting character, this Melchizedek. And we get to see, Lord Jesus, what you are doing in heaven, what your ministry is all about, and how you're active right now, and how exciting that is, and how we can turn to you. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One last visual check here. Boom, boom, boom. All right. We're good. Okay. Well, we are in Hebrews chapter 7 tonight. This is our eighth session in this series, and we'll, we'll get caught up with our sessions in our chapters soon, I, I bet. But we're going to be in the entirety of chapter 7 tonight. And yeah, this we're, we're going to hear from this guy named Melchizedek. And he is, there's almost nobody in the Bible like him. He's, he's pretty unique. So we're going to find out about this guy. So I'm, I'm going to read... Um, let, let's, let, let's read just kind of overall, we'll, we'll read, oh, let's get making here. Hold on a second. Waiting for him. Boom. All right. So he's coming in. Let's read uh, verses one to 10, and then we'll kind of get back in there and, and find our way. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a 10th of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect the tenth from the people, that is, their fellow Israelites even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent, his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who de is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek made Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So tonight, we're going to start in Genesis 14. We're going to learn, learn the identity of this Melchizedek guy, and we're going to get into his greatness just a little bit. So let's start in Genesis 14. And this is, you know, this is a lot of reading. I, I'm even starting in verse 8. It's, it's a bunch of names. Uh, just remember, this is a big battle. This was uh, kings coming in to invade the promised land area. And uh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is, this is not, this is pretty scary stuff. And Abraham is on the front lines here. And so, and we have uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll recognize those names. Those are very famous names, infamous names. So here we go. Genesis 14. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedo Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot. Uh-oh. They're going to get Abram involved, aren't they now? Oh, my goodness. And all of his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner. All of whom were killed, or excuse me, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, and remember, Abram didn't have any children. Abram was just, just that's his only guy. This is really his only family member. This is it. And this is huge for him. 
Well, he called out all 318 trained men, both in his household, born in his household, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions. This is like, this is like a Rambo moment here. Abram is not messing around. He's got a crew, a posse, and they're having at it. Man, uh, together with the women and all the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedolaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. What? God has a priest? How's that possible? There is no priesthood. There is no Moses. There is no Aaron. There is no temple. There's nothing like that. How in the world does God have a priest? This Melchizedek's kind of unique. What do we do with this guy? This guy just shows up. And everybody knew he was a priest of God. They're like, oh, this is God's guy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and Mick texted, there's no Israel. That's exactly right. Israel, that, that's, Jacob's, that's Jacob's name. Jacob is not even a twinkle in a twinkle in a twinkle of Abraham. It's like he's, uh, Abraham has to eventually have Isaac, and then Isaac will eventually have Jacob, which will be renamed Israel. We don't have any of the tribes, no Levi, nothing. This is just, just some... To our understanding of this text, it's so random. It's like, what? Well, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Every, you know, evidently, he was a known figure. Salem, you know that word in Hebrew. It's shalom. It's a greeting. It means peace. And the author of Hebrews, makes, he makes a mention of that. He brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. Then he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram realized, oh, this is a worship service. I'm just getting blessed by this guy. It's time to pay my tithe. Okay? Just like you might do with your worship service. That's what he does. He gives him a tenth. He fully gives him a tithe right off the top. He didn't take out any taxes first. He didn't do any nets. or He just right off the top. Here it is. Boom. Okay. Abram gave him a tenth. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Because the king of Sodom didn't do anything. Abram did everything. So he's just like, you know what? You keep your part. I'll keep my part. You know what? You have your thing. I'll have my thing. And I realize you should get the money because you had to put all the effort in there. But I just need the people. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and a share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Aner, Eshkol, Amamre, let them have their shares. So like, they get to have theirs. My oath has nothing to do with them. My soldiers, you know what? You know, remember what later is going to be said? Don't muzzle the ox while he's trampling the grain. Let the ox eat. It's like, my men get to eat. The guys I traveled with, they're welcome to theirs. I'm not saying nothing about them. They get to have theirs. But as for me, no, 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 no. Even though you're making it happen, I'm not going to be beholden to Sodom. I'm just not going to do it so that you can't have anything on me. And there's something to be said for that. Well, that's Genesis 14. That's who this Melchizedek, that's where we get this Melchizedek guy. And we later hear, you know, in Genesis, or excuse me, in, the, in Psalms, I'll make you a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so we, we, he comes up a couple times in the Old Testament, but here he is fully and finally in Hebrews 7. Who is this guy? What was his identity? Well, he's the king of the king of Salem, okay, 
And Salem, there's, there's, a, there's a very famous city that has Salem as a part of it. And that is Yaru Salem, okay, Jerusalem, okay, a city of peace, right? And so, yeah, he's a, a king of righteousness. His name means, so his name is um, king in Hebrew is Malek, and righteousness is Tzadik. And so Melchid Tzadik. Malek Sadek, Melchizedek. That's what it's king of righteousness, is what it means in Hebrew. So yeah, he is um, a king of peace. He just kind of comes on the scene. He has no genealogy. So he can't really trace himself back to really anybody. Now, the, the old rabbis, uh, they didn't like how they see the, 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 some of the older Christians, they, they got a hold of this and said, Oh, yes. Uh, he is um, he is kind of like, how does the author of Hebrews say he is um, like a son of God? He resembles a son of God. And they said, ah, that answers our question. This is like the, 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 the next guy in the fire in the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. There he is. That's got to be Jesus, right? This is Jesus, right? A pre-incarnation incarnation. Is this it? And, you know, there's, there's a nice little history about this. And, um, yeah, it's early Jewish thought, thought that Melchizedek was a heavenly being. The rabbis identified him with Noah's son Shem because uh, they didn't want to see him as a type of Christ or Messiah because the Jewish rabbis didn't want anything to do with the Christian faith. So they couldn't let the Christians have this. The early Christian writers, for the most part, they objected um, they objected to this, of course, and uh, they said, well, he's without genealogy. The author of Hebrews says that. So Shem is a pretty well-known figure, so that can't be it. The Gnostics, the, the Gnostic cults thought that Melchizedek was the Holy Spirit because the Gnostics didn't like, Gnostics don't like Jesus taking flesh, but evidently they love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't have flesh. And so anything can be the Holy Spirit. They thought it was the Holy Spirit in a theophany. And uh, later on, it became famous that this would be, they saw him as the son of God. And a, in around 8400, a, a theologian named Epiphanius, how about that, said this, if Melchizedek resembles the son of God, he cannot at the same time be the same as the son of God, for how can a servant be the same as his master? So that kind of became the going thought, that this is not the son of God that this is not Jesus, that this person is not divine, that this guy is actually a guy. And the reformers held to that, and uh, many, many of the church fathers that followed later, and the great, some of the great names theologians here, even up to the Reformations, they followed this view. And occasionally it comes back every now and then that this Melchizedek was kind of a, a supernatural figure or some kind of strange thing. No, most likely he was a guy, but he was a very special guy. Nobody knew much about this guy. He didn't have the trappings of a usual human being of the time because human beings of the time had their genealogies and they had their ancestors. So there's going to be some distinct way we're going to look at Melchizedek where Melchizedek is going to be different. He's going to be set apart. He's going to come on the scene and right away, Abram's going to, going to just offer him a tenth. Now, this is not worship of Melchizedek. You would give the tenth you would give your tithe to the priest who represents God. And that really is given to God, but you give it to the priest and that's how the priest mediates for you. And that's what they we would later do as the author of Hebrews tells us with the Levitical priesthood and many people who give to, to, to a local church and you know, the monies you give go towards fulfilling the budget obligations of a church and the ministries and the salaries and that kind of stuff. And so you you're giving it to the Lord, but it goes to for the workings of the church as well. So, and the church is doing the work of the Lord and, and is being his hands and feet, etc. So his identity, um, this is a different kind of thing here. So we have here in, in, in Hebrews 7, we've got, um, yeah, he has no father or mother or genealogy. We don't hear anything of a beginning of his days or at the end of his life. He resembles the son of God. He remains a priest forever. So right away we're saying, now you just said he was a guy. And he's not God. And some of the earlier stuff thought he was an angel or something like that. Like he's like Michael or 
another one of those archangels. Um, he's not a heavenly being, but he doesn't die. What are you talking about, author of Hebrews? Well, he's going to unpack that because he's going to be a type, just like Levi is going to be a type. The Levitical priesthood, there's going to be a type of priesthood that is a different order. You might have heard something like that, like Catholic monasteries have orders. You've got these orders and those orders, and you got the Jesuits, you got the, you know, that kind of stuff. All these different orders. We have orders of priesthood here. We've got the Levitical priesthood, and evidently there's going to be a Melchizedek priesthood, something different. Make text in. There are so many unknowns about Melchizedek. It's best just to stick to the point scripture makes about him. He's a regular guy who serves as type. Amen. I agree. And so that's his identity. His identity is where well, we don't know much about his identity. But what we do know is pretty amazing. Abram, this is the Abraham. Three faiths, billions of people look to this guy as Ava, as father, as, as Abba or Baba. And they look at him as the guy. And he gives money to him. He gives the tenth to him. And... Oh, text coming in. Let's see. Never, never replace words in the word of God. That's a good point, Mick. We don't, never want to do that, but we can try to extract all the juicy nougat we can, and uh, we can suck the marrow out of the word and let it bless us. He's the prototype of the Messiah, one who's both king and priest. That's a great point, Sandy. Thank you. And he is, yeah, that's, and we're going to see Jesus, you know, being a part of this. And so Jesus is the one that Melchizedek's order. How, how can his how can his rule excuse me how can his priesthood be eternal? He himself is not eternal, so somebody who fulfills his role has to be eternal. That's where he's going to go next. His greatness here, um, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth. Wow, yeah, and and he makes here this this idea of a Levi and the Levitical priesthood, and and talking about how they got to have their tithe and it would make sense for Abraham not to pay his grandson a tithe. You know, just that, that doesn't make sense at all. And so, and the, the greater blesses the lesser. You mean this guy is greater than Abraham? Seriously? That was a huge, can you imagine what kind of a statement the author of Hebrews just made there? That is huge, huge. He's greater. So what he represents, huh? Yeah, this is like a mic drop. I mean, exactly, Mick. This is it. This guy blessed Abraham. What are you talking about blessing me? I'm going to bless you, pal. You're blessing me. No, no, no. He blessed Abraham and Abraham realized, oh, yeah, this guy represents Almighty God. That same God who told me to leave order of the Chaldeans to come here, to drop everything and come to this area that I don't know. And the God that I took at his word and I obeyed and I show up and I obey and I show up and all of a sudden his guy shows up, I'm going to respond. Well done, Abraham. Well, or Abram, well done. He recognized who this guy represents. So this Melchizedek, he shows up in Genesis 14. We see him there and we see that what, what the author of Hebrews is referencing, his identity, his greatness. Let's go to, to the next section, 11 and 19, replacement. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said, belong to a different tribe and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar for it is clear that our lord speaking of jesus the lion from the tribe of judah our lord descended from judah and in regard to that tribe moses said nothing about priests and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like melchizedek appears one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared. And by the way, Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. I call that pretty freaking indestructible. Don't you? 
an indestructible life, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And that's actually the point here. The law didn't make anything perfect or complete. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. The need. Why was there a need for another priest, verse 11 says? Why was there a need? Because the first system wasn't enough. Mick texted in. It's amazing, a story that has been mostly ignored in Scripture. Here makes the point God had intended all along in its progressive revelation and highlights God's sovereignty and omniscience. The Levitical priesthood was not enough. What did the law accomplish? The law revealed that you are a sinner, that you have sinned. The Ten Commandments, if you have lied, you are now a liar. If you have stolen even the smallest thing, you are now a thief. If you've broken even the smallest of God's laws, you might as well have broken all of them. It's like it reveals your holistic need for grace, for a Savior. All the law can do, if you pardon my words, is damn you. That's all it can do. It can just condemn you. It just basically says, you're toast, and you deserve to die. The wages of sin is always death. And you don't deserve any forgiveness. And any, any forgiveness that God gives you is just flat-out grace. That's it. That's, that's the power of the law. But that's really all the law can do. There is a need. Unless everyone's just going to die. If there's ever going to be salvation, if there's ever going to be grace, if there's ever going to be hope, we need another priest. Because all that Levi and Aaron can do is just hand out the law. Their basis is the law. There's a need for another priest. We got to have another priest. We have to have another system. We have to have something else. Because if we don't have that something else, we are all screwed. We just had the law, and that's it. Standing text, and unlike other priests, Jesus would not have to make continual sacrifice for his sin as well as ours. That's right. He was a sacrifice for all of our sins. Amen. Past, present, future. He offered himself once. His work was finished. He sat down. Amen. We're going to hear more about that a little bit later. Uh, first system was a roadmap to the real deal. Word shadow will be used at least twice about how the Mosaic Covenant is a picture of something better down the road. Amen, Mick. So yeah, there's a need. We Why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. Because you can't have another priest in the order of Aaron. We already had Aaron. We already had Aaron. Aaron was came from Levi. All priests had to be Levites. Not all Levites were priests. It was a certain clan in Levi, the Kohathites, if I remember correctly. And of the Kohathites, only Aaron and his sons, a family of a clan, of a tribe, those are your only priests. But they all were Levites. Kind of like all bachelors are men, but not all men are bachelors. It's like all Levi, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. And so that whole priesthood was on Levi. We got to have something different. Who's left? What other tribe are you going to choose? There's really only one choice. Only one person qualifies, and he's not a Levite. He's a Judahite, and that's his point here. For when the priesthood is changed, because if he's going to talk about changing the priesthood, you can't change the priesthood. To change the priesthood, you've got to change the law. To change the law, you've got to have a different covenant, don't you? Because if your covenant is based upon that law, you don't dare change the law. So we as Christians, we're not old covenant. We're new covenant. The covenant installed, not by a Levite Moses, but by Judahite Jesus. Hmm. And no, Moses wasn't the original high priest. That was his brother Aaron, but they're still both Levites. Hmm. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. Yeah, Judah, Judah. 
is clear. He's a descendant from Judah. And Moses said nothing about the Judahites being priests. Moses would be saying, wait a minute, the priests, no, no, we talked about that. They're supposed to be Levites. That's the one tribe set apart. The rest of the tribes are not to be priests. So something is different here. Something is separate. Something is unique. God is doing something different and amazing here through this Melchizedek guy. There's something better. There's something more. There's something complete. And that word complete also means perfect. There's a need here. And that's the basis for the change as well. Is that you've got to change the law. You have to change that law. And you have to install a new priesthood. Verse 15, and, and what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of his power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who could be something forever? Someone who lives forever? Well, who would qualify? Every single Aaronic priest died. None of them qualify. How do we have this? There's a need for a different priesthood. There's a need for salvation history to progress. There's a need for sin to no longer be the final chapters of our books. We have to have grace. We have to have forgiveness. We have to have salvation. We have to have this new covenant with a covenant priest administering that covenant. We have to have that. Otherwise, the law wins. And that's all we have. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. I mean, the law was weak. Well, it was powerless to save. Powerless means weak. It was not weak to condemn. It was very strong to condemn. But it had no use in terms of saving. Hello, Pharisee of Jesus' day, who thought that if he could keep the law perfectly and so be saved and so be considered righteous, that you could keep following God's law to the point that you could do it and God would accept you and you're God's guy and God's always going to take care of you because you do what is right. That's pretty much a Pharisee. And when you mess up, you can go do a sacrifice and et cetera, et cetera. But God's made a way. You know, here it is. But that very sacrificial system pointed to the fact that we needed a new covenant where a once for all sacrifice would happen. Well, a better hope is introduced. That's really great. There's a need, there's a basis for change. And that basis for change is that God's the one doing it. God's plan was for the law to work and then for the law to be fulfilled. For people to, to recognize that, A, I'm a sinner and I stand before God in need of a savior. But the law can't be my savior. There has to be change. There has to be something else. And now there's a better hope. We sing about that hope with the, the, the Easter hymn, because he lives. That whole idea of he's my high priest. He lives forever. I turn to him. Jesus is the one who saves. And Jesus also mediates my salvation as my priest. And he's going to go on here to talk about how he's different than, than Levi, different than Aaron. He administers a better hope. We talked about that hope last week, the anchor for your soul. That hope can only be eternal if your priest is eternal. What hope did you have with Aaron? Eventually Aaron was going to die. Aaron had to have sacrifices for his own sins. At a certain point, that hope is muted. That hope is just kind of out there. You're hoping for something greater. Here's the grid. Finally and fully, there's a better hope. 
the ministry of Jesus. 20 to 28. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Funny how that works. I would stay in office, but I died. Oh, okay. Since death had prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. You've heard that before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said, John 14, 6. Come to God through him. Here it is. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Oh, what a precious verse. Just pause here and cry for a moment. It gets no better than that. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, Andy made a mention of this earlier. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist once said, who taketh away the sins of the world. Paul called Jesus our Passover lamb. The lamb doesn't offer himself. The lamb is offered by the priest. Jesus, the priest, offers himself the lamb. Wow. Sandy texts in, neither Jesus nor we have to, make continue, have to make continual sacrifices. He offered himself as the sacrifice. We are then to offer our lives a sacrifice and a spirit of worship and gratitude for God's mercy and grace. Yeah, we need to remember that. That's going to be our closing today with, the, with our three students. Um, but yeah, it's, he's offered the sacrifice. And, and what do we do? Well, we, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Amen. Uh, Jesus, Mick texts in, Jesus, both ult the ultimate priest and sacrifice, and more as we'll see in the following chapters. Amen. Good comments. Yeah. For the law appoints, verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. You catch that? The law appoints weak people. As great as Aaron was, he was still a weak dude. Well, we knew that. Golden calf, hello. But yeah, I mean, it's, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Wow. The ministry of Jesus. He's the guarantor. Think back to that Passover meal, that last supper. Jesus started talking about this new covenant. This new covenant in his blood and in his body, broken and shed. There's something different with Jesus now. There's something more complete. There's this new covenant. He's this guarantor. He's the one guaranteeing it. It's his own body. It's his own blood. He didn't die to pay his own debt. He died to pay my debt. Yeah. Jesus, being both priest and sacrifice, is able to guarantee this covenant that he himself is purchasing. And making possible. Wow. He's the guarantor. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Not just new, but better. That better hope that we cling to. That very hope that is the anchor for our soul. Better because it doesn't just condemn. It actually saves. Wow. Jesus. Savior. Now, there have been many of those priests, death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. 
I love that. You look at the Old Testament, and if you want to worship a holy God, you got to do it his way. Leviticus is clear. you got to come, and an innocent substitute, a lamb or something, has to die in your place. And, you, and because of that, your sins could be smeared over so that the whiteout on your paper, so now you can, the sin is still there, but the whiteout has covered it over, so now you can type over it back in your typewriter days, and now you can functionally turn in your paper to your professor. But the sin is still there, it's just been covered over, so you can turn in your paper. That's atonement. The sin is never truly dealt with in a full and final way, because more, more sacrifice has to happen, and more sacrifice has to happen, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. But not with Jesus. He is able to save completely. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. Wow. Salvation mic drop. There's something better. There's something unique, perfect, complete about the salvation Jesus brings. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Because eventually Aaron's going to die. Eventually the next priest is going to die. And I got to go meet this new priest. And I got to offer this sacrifice. But no, Jesus doesn't die. Jesus is always, his salvation is always on heaven's books. You're not wiggling out of that salvation. You're not getting out of that salvation on a loophole. When Jesus saves you, he saves you. It is a complete, perfect thing. Make text in the Mosaic Covenant being a conditional covenant is God making a point that man is fallible. Thank God for unconditional covenants such as the Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the new covenant. Amen. The new covenant. Without that, we're toast. Jesus is always, since he's still, he's always alive, he's always high priest. There's no meeting the new guy. There's no, well, I know what the previous guy did, but what about this one over here? I had, I, I was on a customer service phone call tonight with a, with a company that I was trying to buy something from, and there was a mess up, and I, I talked to one representative, and then she gave me some bad news. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this bad news. So I had to make some other phone calls, and, and I eventually I, get, I, I, I called him back. I said, all right, I got another person. And this, this, this customer service rep says, you know, I don't know what the other one was saying, but this is the way our policies are. And she gave me some actual good news. So it's kind of like that with the old covenant. Well, I got this one, but maybe I'll wait a little bit longer and I'll go to this one. And maybe I'll get better news. No, Jesus never dies. His salvation is always on the books. He is able to save completely. Completely. There's something unique here. This is going to be blowing minds in the first century world when they're reading this. When, his, when the author of Hebrews' his audience is reading this, they're going, whoa, that's how he's better than Aaron. That's how he's better than Moses. That's how he's greater than Joshua. That's how he's greater than the angels. That's how he's greater than everybody because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Salvation doesn't have to end. And we saw that with the avenger of blood. Remember that in the Old Testament? You accidentally kill somebody and you had to go flee and there was a, an avenger of blood that the, 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 the man's family could come after you. You had to flee to one of these cities and if they caught you outside of the city, they could get you and you had to keep doing that until the high priest died. And then once the high priest died, then the books are emptied. Okay, well, we're going to start over. Fresh slate. Kind of a weird thing, but it makes sense here. The high priest never dies. He's Jesus. He's eternal. He's our guarantor. He's our savior. He's our interceder. Wow. He always lives. That's Jesus. Always alive. He lives to intercede for these ones he's saving. What is intercession? To intercede is to stand in the place of, like in between, like a scary dog runs up against at my kids, I'm going to stand in front of my kids. And the scary dog has to deal with me. This great bearded guy here, you come, come chew on me, kids run away kind of thing. That's interceding, stepping in between, advocating for. There it is. We do this with intercession and prayer. We intercede with our prayers. We go to war for each other in prayer. We pray for our, the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We intercede for them. That's what Jesus is doing right now. 
So if you think Jesus is, is, is just, you know, sitting up there in heaven going, well, it's completed. Now I get to watch my ball game and now I get to kick my legs up and have some of that heavenly wine and just chill or something. No, Jesus is at work right now, interceding for people like you and people like me, people who need it. We saw this with the, this weirdly cosmic moment at that last supper. He looks to Peter and he says, Simon, Satan is asking to sift you like wheat. Oh, we weren't aware of that. The son of God was Jesus. For some reason, just like Satan had access to God in Job's time, asking if he can have at Job, Satan's asking God if he can have at Peter. What does Peter say next? Well, but I've prayed for you, Simon. I've interceded for all of you. In fact, it's plural. All of you disciples. I've prayed for you. He's interceding. He was doing it while he was still alive. How much more is he going to do it in heaven? He always lives to intercede. To intercede for us. You're going through a really rough time. Jesus is praying for you. Not some pastor. Jesus. And what do his prayers look like? He's right there. Hey, Father. He didn't have to go on a mountaintop. He didn't have to go get by himself like he did when he walked this earth. He's right there. Jesus is praying for you. Don't you dare give up. He's different. Verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. Oh, Aaron met a need. The Levitical priests, they didn't meet a need. We're not denying that. We're not saying they were bums or they were useless or anything like that. No, they met a need. They were extremely important. They were God's chosen means to mediate his original covenant, his old covenant, sacrificial sin. We're not, we're not poking these guys in the eye and saying they were jerks. No, 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 no. But Jesus truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. You know, the high priest was set apart from sinners too. The problem was he was also a sinner. So there's only so much set apart he could be. Not so Jesus. Exalted above the heavens. Be exalted, oh God, above the heavens. Yes, that's Jesus. Exalted above the heavens. Yes. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Yeah, name the last Aaronic priest that did that. Day of Atonement. He's sacrificing bulls. He's then sending off a scapegoat. And sacrificing the other goat. He's not sacrificing himself. Oh no. Make text in here, Jesus. And in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit, what an encouragement that God himself prays for us. Yes. God expects you to pray. But even when you don't know how to pray, God is also praying. Huge. For the law appoints as high priest men and all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. See, this ministry of Jesus is different. It's different. He's able to save you completely. So let's close this out. What are our three students going to say? What does Yabut have to say? Any ideas? How would Yabut treat this? Yabut, remember, always has an excuse. He always has a rationalization. Yeah, but always says, yeah, you know, there's this though. Um, that's great. I mean, I really, I like that. I like to know that this Jesus figure, you know, he's able to do all that, but what's, I mean, come on. Does he really care about me? I mean, doesn't he have enough on his hands? He's got to worry about me. That guy's going to be praying for me. I mean, come on. I mean, I get what you're saying, preacher man, but. I got my own stuff. He's got his own stuff to deal with. 
I mean, he's got to look after every blade of grass, every squirrel and every tree, you know, how's your Bible put it? You know, the, the, the sparrow falls, he knows about it kind of thing. His eyes on the sparrow. What's he doing watching me? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yes. But I still need to figure it out on my own. Yeah. That that's the, yeah, but right there. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's great. I'm glad he, you know, he's offering salvation, but nobody pays my debt. I pay my debt. Who do you think you are? If I don't pay it, it's not going to get paid. See, yeah, but always has some crap. He's always got something he's got to say. He always has to try to get the last word. And when you're trying to get the last word with God, you're an idiot because you're not God. And the yeah, but no. The weary, the weary is most likely the audience of the book of Hebrews. They're up against it. They're tired. They need hope. It's really good that there's a better hope, isn't there? Because the previous hope, they had no more hope. The previous hope they were coming from, they're worn out. Just worn out. I don't want to work hard anymore, God. I'm tired. I'm weary. It's a great thing. The same Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You're heavy laden. You're just marching. You just get, it's all on your back. And oh gosh, I just one more mile, Lord. Okay, here I am. How does the how does the the yeah but respond to this? And I'll make my own way. The weary. See, the best part about the weary when it comes to salvation is that they're theologically sound, because you can't do anything about your salvation. And the weary doesn't want to do anything about anything. They're just they're tired. The weary just needs hope. The clay, the clay just needs motivation. The clay is ready to go. Yes, Lord. What are you calling me to do, Lord? You're calling me to be a living sacrifice because you sacrificed and you and you 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 were the original living sacrifice. And you're calling me to, to be transformed in the renewal of my mind, to be a living sacrifice, God. You're calling me to do that. I'm your guy. I'm your gal. I'm there. I want the change. There's things about me that need to stop. There's things about me that, that now need to start. The weary is tired and is only one act away from the clay. That step is being tired enough to lay it all down and let God take over. That's not a bad point. Just remember that a sovereign God isn't waiting for me to let him do anything. And so that, that old line, let go and let God, I mean, it's a cute line. It's just, I'm not really letting God do anything, but I, but I see the point you're making. The weary just needs to get out of the way and needs to recognize that God's at work. The clay is responding to that. Yeah, it's like Samuel. Yes, Lord, here I am. Good, good point, Meg. Yeah, that, that's the clay. Remember that story with Samuel and eventually Eli had to realize, okay, God's talking to that boy. It's like the original, like, you know, already go to sleep. Stinks for Eli because, you know, he was his own death right there. Eli said, yeah, the next time Sam, he's calling you Samuel, say, here I am, Lord, speak, I'm here. And what's God say? The house of Eli is going to die. You know, it's like the first thing he says is smacks Eli with his, him and his rotten family. Yeah, you know, here I am, Lord. So you've got to figure out who you are as we go through Hebrews. Is there enough of you that's the yeah, but? If, if you're the yeah, but, you need to knock it off. That needs, to, that needs to change. Because at some point, you're going to run out of excuses. At some point, you're going to run out of rationalizations. Your skeptical mind may not be able to grasp it. At some point, enough's going to be enough. And it's going to be a put up or shut up moment. That either Jesus is your savior or he's not. Either you're living to please him or you're not. And yeah, we're glad you're here, yeah, but with that said, that's not a very lasting thing. That's not a long-term goal for you to be the yeah, but to stay the yeah, but if you're weary, my goal for you as your teacher in this is that you would not be the weary. If you're there now, hang on. Hang on. Just remember Jesus is praying for you even right now. I didn't read anywhere there's beds in heaven that were sleeping. 
I read there's no sun. There's no need for sun because the lamb is the light. It's like there's no need for lights because he's it. When do we need to sleep? Jesus isn't sleeping. He's not taking a break. He's not like the, the Baal on Mount, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah. And Elijah's like, well, maybe he's taking a trip. Maybe he's going potty. Maybe he's just, not, I mean, hold on, call louder. Maybe he's going to come. Maybe he's on a break. No, there's no break. He always lives intercede for you, even you, the weary. Jesus loves the weary. If you're weary, know that God loves you. Know that God cares for you. God is bringing you through this season of your life. Even in your weariness, there's hope for you, a better hope. But one day you'll be the clay. Hang on. Hold fast. Continue to trust God and what he is doing. The goal is for you to start responding like the clay response. You're teaching me something, Lord. And now I know what I need to do. What needs to be what what needs to be more like Jesus about me? What needs to be less about me? That's the clay's question. What do I need to start? What do I need to stop? The ministry of Jesus. This chapter changes a lot of things. More blanks get filled in here. Have you ever wondered about Jesus in heaven? When you get to heaven, you're going to see Jesus. Don't be surprised if we find him <laughs> praying. No, I don't know if it's going to be the end of time. or I have no idea what that's going to look like. And if that's the case, maybe he won't be interceding anymore. But yeah. He always lives to intercede. He cares about you that much. Think about it. He's interceding where that intercession could do the most possible good. Heaven. And that's what he's doing. He loves you. He cares for you. He's praying for you. Don't give up. He's been made perfect forever. In the order of Melchizedek. Jesus. The Prince of Peace the ultimate king of righteousness. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7. See you next week.